electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Scott. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Exchange. We're watching markets, but we're especially watching interest rates today. They are on the rise big time after that super strong jobs report showed hiring gains, wage acceleration, and a big rebound in labor force participation. The real question now, how many rate hikes from the Fed? We have brand new market data on that, which might surprise you. Also on the rise today is oil. Crude spiking above 90 yesterday, above 92 today. So pump prices are about to go higher. We'll look at the impact $100 oil could have on the economy if that's where we're headed. Plus a Friday edition of three buys and a bail after some of the wildest stock moves ever we've seen this week. Let's start with Dom Chu, though. He does have the state of play this hour. Can we say three love it or list it? I mean, we can we can do those, right? <laughs> Something, like Something that. along those uppers. lines. Yeah. Yes, fixer uppers. I, I'm totally on the same page with you, Kelly, right now. But the markets overall, believe it or not, I'm showing you three major indices, indexes, indices in the green right now. And the reason why I'm highlighting it is because we are not far away, just about session highs across the board here. The S&P 500, 4504 the last trade. They're up about 27 handles, over one half of 1%. The Nasdaq Composite, 14,085 the last trade there, up one and a half percent. The Dow Industrial is just about flat on the session. Again, some nice moves higher. At the highs, the S&P was up about a half a percent. Where we are right now at the lows, down half a percent. So that's kind of the general range we've been trading in so far on this Friday. One place that is playing out at least a little bit more dramatically right now is interest rates. The 10-year Treasury yield specifically, other parts of the yield curve as well, 1.923%. At one point, we're just off the highs of the session for yields, by the way. At one point at the highs, we were going back all the way to December of 2019, the early part of 2020. That's the highest that we've seen. So going back pre-pandemic, pretty pretty much so for the 10-year Treasury note yield. So keep an eye on that, that better-than-expected jobs number helping to propel some of that yield strength and uh, bond weakness there. And then if you look over the last week, Three of the big earnings reports, the most, some of the most important companies out there, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta Platforms, some of the biggest names in the S&P 500 overall. If you look at the way that they've traded, the volatility that we've seen around their earnings reports and some of the bounce backs that we've seen have been pretty tremendous. Meta Platforms, of course, in the green line there is taking it on the chin for the most part. But overall, there have been some generally positive moves for Alphabet and Amazon, but not without volatility. And it's been translating into other parts of the market, but it's still fairly localized. Of course, Kelly, to tech and communication services. We'll see if it stays that way. Back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you very much. Well, the world scoffed when Bank of America last week said it was expecting seven rate hikes this year from the Fed. But believe it or not, the market is kind of coming around to that view. Our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, joins us now with more. Steve? 
Yeah, uh, getting there, Kelly. A much stronger than expected January jobs report suggesting the economy has weathered the Omicron wave with, I don't know, not much more than a sniffle here. And that's led to markets pricing in a more aggressive Fed. Here are the latest probabilities. 100% for March, 100% for May for the second hike. That's new. June way up now, 86% chance of the third hike coming in June. Now they've moved that fourth hike into July, so its consecutive hikes are priced in. November, a fifth hike, 61%. And there it is now, the sixth hike for February 2023, priced in at 54%. That also is new, first time we've shown you six hikes above the 50% level. January jobs report, non-farm payrolls up 467 against a forecast of just 150. Many, of course, expected a negative number. Unemployment rate, 4% up a tick from uh, December. Labor force participation, 62.2%. Nice gain there. Almost 1.4 million coming back to the workforce. Some of that through revisions to the household survey. Average hourly up 0.7, likely flattered by low-wage workers to the extent that there were job losses. They probably dropped out. And there's that massive revision, 709,000 to November and December to the positive side. But hold on, because the separate household survey gave somewhat of a different view, and I want to make sure that people see this too. Uh, From the household survey here, household employment was actually down 272,000 when you take out the revisions. And here's some other good news, though. The great resignation was less great than we thought. The labor market, labor force is now 900,000 below the pre-pandemic level. We thought it was 2 million before those revisions. So Here's how I think you could make sense of all this confusion. The job market may have been weaker than the payroll suggests. That's my take on this. The BLS has just done a poor job with payrolls on the first print during the pandemic. But whatever happened in January, forget it. The jobs market remains strong, and there's every reason for the Fed to plow ahead with hiking rates, no matter what the reality of this particular report is, Kelly. Yeah, and it's been... It's, it's rebounded much more quickly if you look at kind of prime age participation and things like that, much more quickly than after the financial crisis. So yeah. it's interesting to watch. Now, I'm deliberately focusing on the rate hike, Steve, but there is a growing chorus calling for the Fed to aggressively reduce the size of the balance sheet, saying it's almost absurd to try to raise rates so much when we have this giant balance sheet sitting out there. We'll save more of this for next week, but I wonder to what extent you think that could kind of complicate the discussion about what the Fed's plans are this year. There's no doubt this, the, the discussion is complicated, Kelly, and I just want to congratulate you and this show done a really good job of bearing in on this complication because there's two tools for the Federal Reserve. There's the balance sheet and there are and there are rates and the Fed is going to use both of those in terms of taking away stimulus to the economy. But here's, I think, one story to think about. The Fed can do an awful lot of balance sheet reduction. I've heard numbers thrown around like a trillion and a half without even tightening financial conditions. Exactly. Why? Because that trillion and a half dollars is sloshing around in the reverse repo market. The banking system doesn't even need it. So you don't even get to the point of biting down on financial conditions of having any effect on the economy with that first trillion and a half. I know some Fed members are thinking much more aggressively about that balance sheet reduction. The only thing is the sticker shock for the market, not maybe the actual effect. If the Fed said it was going aggressively, that could freak the market out, even though that first trillion, trillion and a half, 
may have no effect on financial conditions or the economy. It's going to be really interesting, the, the direction they choose to take this all in. Uh, like I said, I think it'll probably heat up in the next few weeks. Steve, thank you. As always, a pleasure. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. Steve Leisman with the very latest on the market's expectations. So we saw maybe six hikes if you look out to next February. My next guest, still only looking for four hikes this year. Joining me now is Julia Coronado, founder of Macro Policy Perspectives. And also here with some thoughts on how to play all of this Fed tightening is Nancy Tangler, the chief investment officer at Laffer Tangler Investments. So welcome to you both. Julia, I'll start with you. It looks like the Fed is is maybe way behind the curve here. Well, not in the sense that the market is pricing in Fed tightening, uh, and so therefore they are already moving, uh, even if they haven't actually moved. We know markets are forward-looking, and so they are pricing in that removal of accommodation. And I think the jobs report just reaffirms that that's the, the right direction of travel. Uh, the All the revisions point to a steady, strong job market throughout 2021, less of the volatility we saw uh, and but also, as Steve noted, much better supply dynamics, more population, more participation. Um, all of that is good news from the Fed, both, you know, steadier demand, better supply dynamics reinforces that there's an organic underpinning of strength for the economy and they should be removing accommodation. But also uh, they're going to want to calibrate this steadily, especially given the complication of quantitative tightening. They just don't know how that works. Uh, so they want to put that in the mix, but, uh, you know, they can they can sort of let the market absorb that as they kind of march ahead steadily with rate hikes. Nancy, what should the playbook be? Is it the one that's already playing out before our eyes, whether in the session today or, or since January? Or is this the kind of market rotation you think people should stick with? Yes, Kelly. Well, thanks. Um, we have been advocates of staying with technology, but picking your spots in technology. And, and this earnings season was a perfect example of what's working, and that is the cloud. So ServiceNow is growing at 26%, uh, and they expect to continue to do that in, in 2022. We saw Amazon's cloud growth 40%, Google 45%, Microsoft at 40%. You want to be in that space, and we're seeing those companies be rewarded. Uh, and then conversely, you want to have cyclical exposure. So we've been increasing our exposure to energy in the last few months. Uh, both of these sectors are the most productive sectors in terms of revenue and, and, and earnings per employee. And that's something that we're looking at, because even though the participation rate went back up, uh, there are still 5.4 million people who started new businesses last year and may never return to, and that was a record, by the way, mm. and they may never return to the, the payrolls numbers that we all watch so closely. So we want to be in the spaces where you can get leverage, pricing power. All these companies have pricing power. I mean, look at UPS, more shipping more packages with fewer, um, I mean, sorry, fewer packages with much higher costs or much higher prices, and they raise the dividend 49%. So with those are the kind of companies we like and we continue to add to. Yeah, so sticking with kind of the mega cap pricing power winners, like you said, Google, Amazon, UPS, McDonald's, ServiceNow, um, American Express even, and that's where we have seen a lot of strength. Julie, just to turn back in, you know, we all know the risks of the Fed going too quickly because we lived through that for a decade. But is mm -hmm. the risk this time around tilted more towards them not going quickly enough? When you look at the fact that rents are up 18% in the year that we've just come off of, Oil today is above 92, so prices at the pump are going higher, and they already did the SPR release once, so I don't know how we're going to further mitigate that. And it just, you know, we know real hourly compensation hasn't been above inflation since the end of 2020. 
So if this Fed knew that it was going to be still doing quantitative easing when the unemployment with all of that being the case and the unemployment rate at four percent and adding almost half a million jobs a month for the last three months, it feels like they would wanted to be way ahead in the tightening cycle than they are right now. Well, let's I, I want to take a step back and remember that this was the goal. The goal was a fast job market recovery uh, that we don't leave people behind for a decade. And that's, you know, uh, check that box. Things are going really, really well. And again, the market is pricing in Fed tightening. So the market is anticipating the Fed will move this year. The Fed is ratifying that with their own dot plot, which will probably feature more rate hikes, maybe five, as many as five uh, in the March dot plot. And then they can calibrate off of the uh, flow of data. The market is reacting to the flow of data. The Fed will react to the flow of data. But again, there's already tightening priced in. It's not like they haven't done anything uh, because they're communicating a path and the market is pricing it in. And really, if you look at the curve dynamics and inflation expectations, the Fed is getting a lot of credibility from the market. There isn't this uh, sort of fed behind the curve priced into the, the yield curve or inflation expectations. Uh, so I think that overall the communication has been received uh, that there, the Fed is going to calibrate if inflation doesn't moderate as expected. And I think what you highlighted just now is that with, with fading fiscal support, there's now two-sided risks from a spike in energy prices, right? You could get it dampening consumer purchasing power and demand or it could feed in through a hot labor market into wages and prices. And the Fed's going to need to watch the data very carefully for which one of those is playing out. Consumer sentiment isn't particularly strong. Uh, some measures of consumer spending moderated towards the end of the years, almost seemingly in response to these higher prices. We saw good spending sort of fall off in November and December. So I think there's a lot of unknowns, and the Fed has a nice path of tightening priced into the market, and then it can do more or less depending on how the data flows. So I don't see that the Fed has a big problem here. The markets seem just fine. Conditions have tightened up a bit. Rates have risen. That's what they want to happen to cool some of this demand off. Yeah. And in fairness, the longer end has been pretty well behaved. So, Nancy, what do you think is the big risk to the market at this point? I continue to think it's the Fed. I, I might disagree slightly. I did not think the communication was well received by the market. We had a Fed who said multiple times in his press conference that they didn't know what they were going to do and when as it related to the balance sheet. But if you go back and read the minutes from the previous, uh, and, and that they hadn't talked about it, when you go back and read the minutes from the previous meeting, there was two pages single space of them talking about it. So I think, and then we also had Fed Chair Powell saying, well, we don't want to use a demand side uh, solution to solve a supply side problem. So that implied more balance sheet move, but we're actually beginning to see more discussion around rate increases. So I think the market's very nervous. I think that's why you've seen all this volatility. Uh, they've done a lot of the work for the Fed, but the Fed is definitely behind. Inflation would not be where it is if the Fed had stepped in. And so I worry that they're going to tighten in the face of gl a global slowdown. And we're already seeing the global economy slow down. Down. There have been 105 or 106 central bank hikes um, in emerging and developed markets since February of last year. Hmm. So we are seeing the slowing. 
we're going to be hiking as um, in the face of that. And that's going to create problems globally, especially in the emerging markets. So th that's what I'm watching, which is why you want to own the high quality companies with pricing power, strong balance sheets, strong fee free cash flow, and you still will see volatility. And so then we add in a hedge. Yeah, very interesting. Industry. As we watch the, the twos, tens curve around 60 basis points as we yeah. discuss all of this. All right, guys, thank you both very, very much. We appreciate it today. Julia Coronado and Nancy Tangler. We've got a quick news alert on mortgage rates. You might expect which direction they're going. Diana Olick here with the details. Diana? Yeah, that's right, Kelly. Reaction to the jobs report has the 10-year yield, as you said, way up, and mortgage rates loosely follow that. So we just got today's rate in from Mortgage News Daily, and it's a 12-basis-point jump in the average on the 30-year fixed to 3.85%. That's the highest rate since the very brief pandemic spike in March of 2020, and minus that, the highest since October of 2019. It's now a full percentage point higher than a year ago, and that, of course, is hitting the home-building ETF I TB down today and on pace for its third weekly loss year to date down close to 18 percent, which would be the first negative year since 2018. Take a look at Pulte and DR Horton, which just reported strong quarterly earnings. They're down sharply, as are the remodeling stocks like Home Depot, Lowe's and Masco. Despite strong fundamentals, the builder and remodeler stocks do not like rising rates. Kelly. They don't. Diana, thank you very much. Our Diana Olick with the latest. All right, coming up, higher salaries are the number one thing people care about when looking for new jobs. And with wages on the rise, we'll look at whether that'll trigger a fresh wave of great resignations. Plus, a special edition of Three Buys and a Bail today with a look at the stocks poised to survive the valuation purge we're seeing in tech and one that may not. The exchange is back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. One of the starkest data points in the jobs report today, the jump in wages last month. Average hourly earnings are now up 5.7% in the year through January. A little bit of a mixed shift in there. But my next guest says salary is still the number one thing people are looking for uh, when they're looking for jobs, even more so than flexibility and other perks. So if wages keep rising, could this extend the duration of the so-called great resignation? Joining me now is Jack Altman, CEO of the people management firm Lattice. Jack, it's great to have you. What's your read on what's going on in the jobs market right now? Yeah, 
Thanks for having me. I mean, it has been an incredible last year where obviously after a tough 2020, we had a very strong 2021 and that meant a lot of new jobs, obviously. It meant that wages rose. Um, we obviously experienced inflation. I think that companies are going to definitely need to adapt. Like this is a new reality. And so companies need to sort of manage that. Uh, there's all sorts of ways people are doing this, but there's a lot of opportunity baked in here. So for example, companies can now hire people around the country, even around the world. Um, and you know, we're really in an employee's market. And so companies really need to change the way that they think about this because more so than ever, employees have choice. They can choose where they want to work. Right. There's options. They don't need to be restricted to the company around them. Tell me what you're seeing on the salary front right now. There have been huge increases in a lot of roles in a lot of industries in the last year, in many cases, even outstripping inflation. And so what that means is that companies have to respond to that by figuring out ways to be more productive per employee, by making sure that they do things like retain employees longer so that people have more time to get ramped, be productive. Uh, companies need to think about where their location lives uh, and where do they have offices, where do they want to have uh, sort of their teams based. But it's a real you know, situation that is, uh, there, there might be signs that it doesn't keep increasing at this rate, but we are certainly in a different sort of market for employment than we've been uh, in recent history. Yeah, and you guys are obviously showing growth. You're startup yourselves, if we still call you that, after you raised $175 million at a $3 billion valuation. Tell me, I'm curious about this. What does it mean that you offer $100,000 to anyone who wants to go start a business? Yeah, so I mean, we 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 really want to keep employees at Lattice. Like, it is important to us that we are able to have a place where people don't want to just work for a year or two, but where they feel like they can really build careers. And we believe that companies that can hold employees for a long time uh, will will reap huge benefits from that. Uh, at the same time, we believe in a philosophy where you you know see the employee as a person first and your employee second, and so. You know, there come moments in time when employees want to do things that a company can't offer. And so we want to support that. And one of the ways we do that is, you know, we've got a lot of entrepreneurial people who work at Lattice and we want to support, you know, that journey. And if people want to start a company, that is like one thing that obviously we can't uh, provide. And so, you know, we want to sort of like be one of their first investors and, and be behind them. So, you know, we, we would love for people to stay with us. But more than that, we sort of want the people who work here to be successful. And we sort of take that ethos with us Got in everything we, so we do. So these are people who I'm, I was reading it as if they're still working at Lattice and they get $100,000 to start another company in the meantime. But it sounds like what you're saying is when they leave, they might have the op you might have the option of being an investor up to that extent and then, you know, kind of benefiting if the company does well in the long yeah. run. Exactly. It's like saying, hey, if you come to Lattice and you're like, I loved my journey here, I want to start my own company. And uh, that's really important to me. Lattice will, Lattice will invest in your company um, and we'll, we'll be behind you and we'll support, we'll support that next phase of your journey outside of Lattice. Employers of the world, this is what you're up against. Lattice is, offer is offering perks like these uh, to a workforce like this, which is so dynamic and obviously looking for this kind of option. Um, it tells us a lot about what's going on today. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Jack Altman is the co-founder and CEO. Coming up, Hacking the Olympics. We'll tell you what the FBI is warning athletes about ahead of the opening ceremonies tonight. We're back in two minutes. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back, everybody. We're actually near session highs, even though the Dow's only up 50 points. But plus 75 is the session high. We were down more than 300 earlier on. So this has been a a different tone this afternoon. NASDAQ up 1.8% after getting clobbered yesterday. Here are some of the movers this hour. Clorox on pace for its worst day since 1999 after that big earnings miss and a huge drop in gross margins due to rising costs. We're talking about a 12-point drop. They're also warning full-year profit margins will be worse than expected. Stock down 14% back to August 2018 levels. Pandemic gone from their stock chart. Ford also lower after missing on the top and bottom line and falling short on production targets due to supply chain problems. It's now flirting with its worst day in more than a decade, down almost 10 percent. It's back below 18. And take a look at Bitcoin going the other way and seeing a nice move to the upside today. It's back above 40,000, 40,400 and something. First time in a couple weeks. Over to Christina Parts and Evelis now for a CNBC News update. Christina. Hi, Kelly. Graphic body cam video of a fatal non-knock Minneapolis police raid is prompting accusations and an investigation. Minnesota's attorney general says today that Amir Locke's life mattered and it will conduct a thorough review of the state's investigation into his death. Locke was shot Wednesday morning by police with a search warrant for a homicide investigation. They say Locke pointed a gun at them. Today, an attorney for his family says race played a role. They saw a black man reached for his gun, not knowing anything about Amir. And they shot. I mean, they didn't even give him a chance. Arrests along the Mexican border hit a new record high last year. The Wall Street Journal reports that data in a court filing shows U.S. Border Patrol agents made 1.9 million arrests of people trying to enter the country. And it's slow going on Interstate 10 in Texas. Ice from the winter storm that's causing problems across the country led to a couple of crashes involving 18-wheelers. And that has the highway backed up for miles, unfortunately. Kelly, back over to you. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Wow. Wouldn't want to be stuck in that, that's for sure. No, I was relieved it was all rain on the way in today, so... Uh, but it might be ice later. That's sort of the big warning, right? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and how are you supposed to know? I keep going out and skimming my foot on the you know, side trying to figure out, is it ice or rain? Anyway, Christina, thank you. We appreciate <laughs> it. Coming up with all the volatility this week, we look at three stocks well positioned to survive the valuation purge and one that likely won't. There she is. Three buys and a bail with Gina Sanchez right after this. Welcome back, everybody. It's been one of the craziest market weeks in recent memory. So where are the buys as the dust settles and what's one name to avoid? Joining us now is CNBC contributor Gina Sanchez. She is chief market strategist at Lido Advisors, has three buys and our bail today. All right, Gina, welcome. First one, I believe, is Adobe. Tell me about that. 
So what we're looking for when we're looking across all of these stocks and across our portfolio is, you know, the market is just taking an axe to anything that's overvalued and doesn't have a path to profitability or whose revenues aren't quality. And we're looking for quality earnings. And that's where Adobe comes in. Adobe just hit the ball out of, you know, out of the park uh, with their earnings, which has happened with a lot of these tech stocks. However, it was beaten up dramatically because it is a higher valued stock. It is a growth stock. Um, but we see Adobe as having a place uh, with their Adobe Cloud offering. Um, and that growth is showing that it can survive the, the sort of natural slowdown as the economy comes off of its peaks and settles into a more normal pace. And this is something that's not going away. So this is a buy. And I should mention all three of your buys today are in the tech space. So for those who are you know, wondering if they can stay or not, these, these are where you would be going, not just in the whole market, but they all happen to be in tech. So first is Adobe, next is Alphabet. And I wonder, do you feel like there's still room to run with this one after the after the big week it's had. Well, you know, Alphabet is one we've owned for some time. And obviously the ad revenue segment is, you know, that's definitely showing continued growth. Um, and it's just, I think if you hold it, it's, it needs to stay, be, be a part of your portfolio, but it still has room to grow. You know, Alphabet is continuing to expand its offering. And so we see, um, you know, we see earnings power. And again, we see quality um, where we may not see quality in other parts of the market. So that's why we're keeping it in the portfolio. Um, and we're putting this as one of our buys. By the way, does the stock split play into, you know, a bull case here? Is it, you know, just cosmetic? I mean, it I I can't help but think this is all about it going in the Dow. You know, the, 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 yes, uh, I, the stock split, what it does is it provides some momentum and, and availability to smaller retail buyers. Um, so there's no question that that kind of flow at the margin is going to have a benefit. You couple that with the fact that it is a quality stock with quality earnings. Um, you know, we think that that's a win-win. All right. So Adobe, Alphabet, and now Microsoft. This one, of course, had a really nice earnings. Well, Let's put a pretty nice earnings report last week. I mean, the stock was initially lower. The cloud revenue barely matched estimates, but then they said it was going to be good this quarter. It's down 9% to start off the year. You know, that's the thing about Microsoft. First of all, it has very, very high comps. So sort of just edging by those comps is actually still a quite a big win. And this is a company that continues to build its ecosystem and is growing. I mean, it has segments of revenue growing, you know, 20 to 32 percent. Um, that is still very strong growth. And again, its Azure segment is growing like gangbusters. The long term trend, the economic trend towards uh, the cloud, that's huge, you know, hugely benefiting Microsoft because it's built its ecosystem and it's continuing to keep that moat um, from other smaller startups. Yeah. All right. So again, a lot of these big cap tech names, Adobe, uh, Alphabet and Microsoft. So let's turn now to one name. I guess we could still call it part of tech, but that you think is the bail here. And it's poor Zoom video down more than 20 percent already to start the year, 70 percent from its highs. Yeah, Zoom is a, is a story that got got you know, carried away with the pandemic play and the stay at home play. And while it's a company that we like and we like the offering, the valuation just is not going to stand up. And you look at who it's competing against. You know, it's basically trying to expand into Microsoft space. Microsoft has built a very strong moat, and it's offering many of this sort of you know it, Teams competes directly with Zoom, and that's just rolled into the Office 365 product suite, which offers you a whole 
whole lot of other things. And so Zoom still has to really work hard to compete. Um, and if it expands into the telephony space, which I think is its main kind of area for expansion, it still has a lot of catch up and the valuation is just too high while it's going to have to make a lot of investments. Um, so we think it's a stock you want to stay away from right now. All right. And since we have had sort of a tech theme to these picks, I am curious what you would do with energy right now. We heard Nancy Tangler, top of the hour, is a big fan of the space. We're about to talk about, you know, if crude does go to 100 a barrel, a lot of the industry actually doesn't want that. They start to worry about demand destru destruction, political uh, pushback, that kind of thing. What would be, if any, your picks in that space? Well, so, you know, last week we talked about uh, Exxon as a sort of natural uh, inflation hedge, if you will. If there's going to be inflation, it's going to creep into your portfolio. It's coming in through the commodity space. That's a place to play it. Um, and the, the, the entire energy sector is just cheap, but it was cheap for a reason. <laughs> it's had technological issues that have been driving down the oil price and sort of making, you know, the, the, the outlook for a lot of these stocks challenging. We think this is a 12 to 18 month play. We don't think it's like a, a sort of long-term hold in your portfolio, you know, but, but Exxon is certainly um, uh, doing what it has. It We own it in our portfolio um, and it's continuing to benefit from oil, but you're absolutely right. Over $100, there is demand destruction. OPEC will not let that happen um, and they will do what they can uh, to, to address it. And often they'll overshoot that and then you'll see oil prices tank later in the year. Right. And maybe, maybe stocks as well. So are you, are you worried about the market overall here after the jobs report and what rates are doing today? You know, I think right now the market is overplaying the notion that we're going into a tightening uh, monetary policy. You know, right now, if you look, for example, at Fed funds futures, uh, you know, it's pricing in anywhere from four to five rate hikes this year. Um, the reality is, is that inflation is really starting to look like it's peaking in our view. And that's not to say that it won't remain high. But if it starts to fall and look like it's falling and the Fed is only two rate hikes in, are they really going to go through with, the, with, with rate hike three and four? That's the big question. It sets up the opportunity for actually kind of relief at the end of the year if we start to see the, the part of that inflation story fall off because some of it's just coming from the resignation. That's going to go away. You know, the, the parts that are feeding into it and that might linger is just supply constraints at the commodities level and the continued um, supply chain issues. But there's a part of that inflation story that has to come off. Um, and we could actually see the Fed have some room to wiggle uh, by the end of the year in terms of, of their tightening yeah. plans. Yeah. No, we'll see. It's going to be, man. Anyway, there are your three picks uh, if you want to navigate this rocky period. Gina, thank you so much. As always, we appreciate it. Gina Sanchez with Lido Advisors. Coming up, oil prices do keep climbing. And my next guest says there are three catalysts right now that should keep pushing them higher. What happens to the economy if we hit $100 oil? We'll talk about that next. Welcome back, everybody. Oil surging more than 6% this week and above $92 a barrel right now. It's on pace for its seventh straight week of gains. And if $100 a barrel is next... How is that going to impact the economy and what the Fed might do? And what are some of the best ways to trade it? Rob, Tum is it Tumul, Rob? Tumul, remind me, is Senior Portfolio Manager at Tortoise. Welcome. That's close enough. It's Tumul. That's close enough. Tumul. All right. All right. Thank you. And, and I'm so glad to have you here today because it's interesting. We've actually asked a lot of energy followers who don't want $100 a barrel oil. The investors don't really want it. The companies don't really want it. Is it going to happen anyway? 
Yeah, well, so so right now, I, I think you know the the setup for for hundred dollar oil is possible. If you think about what's happening, we've re- really got you know, global oil demand that's approaching or reaching where we were pre twenty nineteen, pre COVID. Um, but yet, supply has not kept up. OPEC is not keeping up. The U.S. is not keeping up. So as a result of that, we've got a big mismatch between supply and demand. You've got inventories falling, and frankly, we've got uh, oil demand that's going to increase into the summer, which which really is a setup for potentially higher oil prices from here. Yeah, we're already looking at prices at the pump at $3.34 a gallon on average. That's the highest since September of 2014, and they haven't even priced in this recent uptick. And we already did the SPR release. Do you think they would do another one? Yeah, I don't know if an SPR release will will help much. Um, you know, you, usually in environments like this, what happens is you see demand uh, response, right? So you see people going to more mass transit. Well, I don't think that's going to happen now, right? Mm. I don't think people are entirely comfortable uh, moving to mass transit yet. Um, now, you might see the term staycation return right this summer. Remember that term a few yeah. years ago? That's some people, you know, didn't get on jet planes, didn't get on airplanes. They didn't get, get in their car and, and go anywhere. They just stayed at home, stayed in their hometowns. That's possible. But also remember the, the flip side of this. We've got higher GDP than when oil was $100 last time. You know, we've got higher disposable income, higher savings rate. So I think the consumer can probably uh, handle th- this type of an oil price for a short period of time. Right. But the question is, how long does it last? So we also learned just a few moments ago that U.S. energy firms for the fifth week in a row added oil and natural gas rigs. That's the longest stretch we've seen since November. Is it is there enough wiggle room in the industry to bring more supply online to help prices adjust downward that way? Yeah, so, so you know, the U.S. Uh, oil and gas producers have been pretty disciplined. Uh, oil production in the U.S. is still you know, a million and a half barrels, probably lower than it was pre-COVID. So there is potential to bring additional supply on and, and help uh, really balance the, the, the global market. So, yeah, that's, that, that is quite possible, and, and that would help um, and, and help improve uh, the prices as long as the investors can still earn a return and and the sh- and the the companies can deliver that return i think uh that would be a, a great thing for for the sector and for investors all right so we'll see in the meantime let's boil this down for investors a lot of people saying well if this is a situation that's almost unavoidable then let's at least get in on the other side of it what are the companies that you think would benefit here if we cross above 100 yeah your previous guest said energy's cheap the whole sector's cheap i agree with that 100% but if you think about where, where do you go? First of all, what we've learned is earnings matter, cash flow matters. Exxon delivered that this week. They delivered great earnings. They gave a glide path to, to really strong cash flow, 4.5% dividend yield, fantastic dividend yield. Now, you know, the company is just hitting on all cylinders. The last time oil was 100, Exxon was $100 stock, and it's $75, $80 today. That's one way to play it, we think. Another way is energy infrastructure. That's uh, At Tortoise, that's one of our places to, where, that we really like. Uh, Plains All-American is an, an example of that. Six percent dividend yield. Um, one area in the U.S. that is actually growing oil production is the Permian Basin in West Texas. You've probably heard about it. Most everybody's familiar with it now. That's been growing substantially. Plains All-American is going to benefit from that. They can actually grow their dividend next year in a rising interest rate environment and lower debt. That's that's a surprise as well. One last area though that I think that's really interesting. You know, you, you know, remember a few years ago when we had the Free Britney uh, <laughs> saga? Well, in that. It, it, and natural gas, natural gas really needs to be freed as well. And think about natural gas. Natural gas needs to be unaffiliated with oil, right? There's a lot of positive aspects of natural gas that can stand on its own because natural gas can, can actually decarbonize the, the world, but also be 
uh, and contribute to energy security for the U.S. And that's really important. So the way we like to play that is through Chenier Energy. It's the largest U.S. exporter of LNG. It's been doing really well in this environment when European prices have been so high. Free natural gas. You know, I don't know if that'll become a rallying cry, but certainly we've all woken (laughs) up to how important the domestic nat gas industry is here. Rob, thanks for all your time and thoughts here. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Rob Thummel with Tortoise. Coming up, none of this makes sense. That's just one of the many analyst headlines today, digesting the wild swings in tech the past 24 hours. My next guest says those swings may not be over, and there are five key things he's looking for that will signal when we reach a bottom. That's next. Before we head to break, let's get some show and tell where we show you the chart and tell the story. Shares of Snap are surging on its earnings beat. CEO Evan Spiegel was on Tech Check and weighed in on competition and one social media giant's advantage over the others. Video entertainment in general on mobile is highly competitive, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or, or YouTube. Um, but but TikTok is a is a I think a unique challenge uh, in that they you know have a privileged and protected position in the Chinese market that you know Instagram or Facebook or Google or us aren't aren't actually allowed to access. Much has been made of the sell-off in tech stocks, and while the Nasdaq is still down 10% this year, we are up 6% from the lows last week for the best week of 2022, even with Meta's huge drag on Wednesday. But my next guest says to be cautious, because we may not have hit the bottom yet, and he warns about buying the dip. Joining me now is Chris Senek, Chief Investment Strategist at Wolf Research. Chris, love to hear your thoughts on this. You're saying there's five things in particular that would tell you that we've hit a real durable bottom. Yeah, hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, so we're looking for five key things to signal a sustainable bottom. I think some of the earlier price action we saw this week was due to a technical bounce. Things have reached really oversold levels. And so we're looking for inflation to slow, economic data to point to solid growth. I think we're in the middle of a soft patch, actually. Credit spreads that remain in check. Earnings revision trends to be up. And technicals to become washed out. All right. So let's kind of elaborate on, you know, what those five things in particular would look like if I'm putting my little dashboard together. What, what do I want to see happen? Well, first of all, I think the market action today and, and we've seen over the last month is all about the Fed and other central banks. You know, rates are up again today. Yesterday they were up as the BOE and the ECB sounded more hawkish uh, and then they, in fact, lift interest rates the ECB this year. Uh, And we have to get through next Thursday's inflation report. Our view is that interest rates are going to continue to grind higher. They need to renormalize. The support that we've had for the last two years from the Fed and physical is gone. And we're in this transition period away from the sugar high that we had. And that's just not a time where we want to buy high multiple tech and other stocks. All right. So basically, number one, technicals are washed out. Number two, inflation shows signs of decelerating. Number three, economic data points to solid growth. Number four, credit spreads remain a check. Number five, earnings revisions trend flattish to up. So let's go over those for a second. Inflation, maybe not decelerating yet. So number one, I'll leave it up to you. If we're not quite there, that's a no. Number two, that's a no. Number three, I'd say solid growth. Yes. Credit spreads in check. Yes. Earnings revisions flattish to up. Are we a yes or a no there? Uh, we're, we're a maybe with earnings revisions. They've been very flattish and they've flattened out. There's been some big upside surprises and there's obviously been some big downside surprises. Um, and we're not washed out yet on a technical basis. We look at the percentage of stocks above their 2 and a moving average. And right now that's around 
35%. We'd like to see that under 20%. And that's what we saw back in the March 2020 lows, the December 2018 lows, among other lows that we've seen in the past. So the breadth of the market has been weakening, even though we've had these technical bear market rally bounces, if you will. All right, so interesting. So we've reached a couple of these thresholds, but maybe not some of the other ones. Again, technicals, we'll see if inflation turns, the data holds up, credit spreads remain solid, and earnings revisions start to look up. Chris, we appreciate it. Always love to get a, a, real, a real specific uh, game plan like this one. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Chris Sinek with Wolf Research. Coming up, bugged hotel rooms, burner phones. Sounds like it's straight out of a spy movie, but it's not. It's a warning from the FBI to Olympic athletes. We have the latest on potential hacking threats next. As we head to break, take a look at the cybersecurity stocks, which are green across the board. Zscaler, Palo Alto, up more than, uh, Zscaler's up more than 6%. They're all trending 4 or 5% higher. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. The 2022 Beijing Olympics have officially started, but the FBI has a startling warning for athletes traveling to China. Eamon Javers is here with the details and what the government is recommending about it. Eamon? Kelly, you know, experts are bracing for what may be the most hacked and spied upon games ever. You could call it the Surveillance Olympics. This week, the FBI issued an alert warning everybody going to the Olympics to expect just about every kind of malicious cyber attack, including ransomware, malware, social engineering, and phishing campaigns, even advising athletes to keep their personal cell phones at home. And the Chinese government itself is also expected to be one of the biggest surveillance actors during these games. One veteran CIA analyst tells me many athletes should expect that their rooms could be bugged, their political views will be scrutinized, and their movements could be tracked. They've developed artificial intelligence capabilities, facial recognition software, far and above what you find elsewhere in the world. So this is actually not a big effort for them. So now advice from experts for Olympians is to assume the Chinese government is watching. And because of that, they say, use a virtual private network, don't log on to social media, and don't enter your passwords like for your banking account. The Chinese goal here is to avoid any conduct that they see that could be embarrassing to the government. They're going to be on high alert for political criticism, particularly comments or, or activism around democracy, human rights, or gender-related issues, Kelly. What are they going to do, kick them out of the country? Yeah. Well, one of the things that that CIA analyst I interviewed was saying is that they could look for opportunities to embarrass athletes who have a high profile on social media and are critical of the Beijing government. For example, uh, you know, their nighttime activities in their hotel rooms or conduct around Beijing during the course of the games. All of that uh, could be gathered and potentially used against any athletes that the Beijing government decides are being politically uncooperative. Oh, that's terrifying. All right. It's just sort of gross. Anyway, it is what it is. Uh, what about this new this yeah. hack aim and on News Corp that we're also learning about? Yeah, interesting one there and interesting timing. News Corp says that they discovered this attack back on January 20th and their cybersecurity company, Mandiant, has identified it as having a Chinese nexus. And what they say is pieces of the company were targeted in, in this attack and they were going after emails and documents from News Corp headquarters and other elements within the company. Uh, they say that some data was stolen, uh, but they think for now uh, the situation is contained. And we'll have to see more in terms of the forensics on this, whether there is some persistent capability of the Chinese inside those News Corp situations 
uh, inside those News Corp systems or whether they were able to get them out altogether. Not clear as of right now, but you can only imagine the kind of intelligence the Chinese could gain yeah. inside News Corporation and that powerful news organization. Absolutely, given some of the reporting from the journal and others. Absolutely. All right. Eamon, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's good to see you today. Eamon Jabbers all over it. And remember, you can catch the Olympics action on NBC Networks and stream it on Peacock as the games, I think, officially get underway this evening. Quick check on the market shows we are at session highs right now. The gains aren't huge. The Dow's up 56, but the Nasdaq is starting to look pretty huge. It's up almost 2%. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.